Are you seeking to broaden your horizons to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Carmen Murray Show. Welcome back to our audiences. And for those who are new, you can subscribe to The Carmen Murray Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so forth. But for now, I have a guest, and she is an assistant. She still needs to learn a lot. But I think she's going to bring a little bit of edge to the show today. Alexa, who are you? I'm Alexa. I can answer your questions, play music, tell jokes, and more. To learn more, just ask, what can you do? Everything that you hopefully can't, but only time will tell. Alexa, how old are you? In human years, I'm three. And in dog and cat years, I'm 28. I think AI years are marked by nanoseconds, so that makes me like a Skrillian. Okay, Alexa, can you yodel? I do enjoy a good yodel. Ahem. Ole, 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 ole. Yay! Thank you so much, Alexa. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce mm. one of my most favorite people, Dion Chang. And we've got Dion Chang in the house today. And he is an innovator, creative thinker, a walking ideas bank and professional cage rattler. I love that. <laughs> I want to become a cage rattler like you. But he's also one of South Africa's most respected trend analysts and takes the unique view of trends as business strategy. So welcome. It's so awesome Thank to you, have Thank you, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure's mine. Both Dion and I spoke at the JC Deku event and I was just like gobsmacked when he started going into the trends. I was like, oh my gosh, you are so right. You're like the Nostradamus of trends. Ah, thank you too much. Huh? Ooh, no. Okay. <laughs> so there's quite a lot that I would like to cover and I think I, I always like to start with a, with a problem and then let's unpack that problem. Okay. So just to give you context and background up about me, so I have a business called Booyah. I think you can you yes. can relate the energy <laughs> to, to the name. And basically what we do is we build connected brands to get them future fit to understand today's problems and, and to build tomorrow's profits. So we would typically go into an organization and we would shadow them, interview stakeholders. We would then observe throughout the whole ecosystem where all the things are broken within the business. And for some reason, there seems to be these typical trends that I've identified um, in this journey. One of them is that businesses are becoming obsessed with the new. Yes. Some can't keep up with the pace. They use tactics rather than strategy. And then there's this, res this resistance to change because they can't change because their businesses were not built 
to change. Yes. And then at the same time is disrupting the business mo model, which is absolutely essential in today's breakneck, breakneck speed that we, um, you know, experience. So what are your take on this? And, and, and what, what, what is your views of what's happening in organizations at the moment? Well, I think, okay, so let me just take a step back because we've been dealing with business disruption. Um, as you said in the intro, you know, we, we, we look at trends as business strategies. So it's a very different research company. So we, mm. we, we're looking at it in terms of, of corporate. So most of our clients, clients are big businesses, mostly corporates, um, trying to deal with, with that kind of disruption. Um, we introduced a new talk this year, um, called the second wave of disruption. And, and that was specifically put there to make people say, what was the first wave and did we miss the first wave? <laughs> and generally, yes, you did because, I mean, you can kind of all lump it into the fourth industrial revolution, but essentially the first one was digitization or digitalization. And my heart really starts sinking whenever I go into a corporate environment and people say, we've got this goal. We want to be digitally transformed by 2020. And I said, but mm. actually digitization started a decade ago. And if you've missed that bus, then there's another <laughs> bus that's already leaving, which is robotics, AI, big data, the metaverse, all of these kind of things, you know. And so I think a lot of people don't know that um, what I do as well is I, I, I give master classes at different business colleges so um, around the country. And those are interesting because you're speaking to middle to senior management, sometimes executives, the higher it goes is what I prefer because those are the decision makers that can actually change things. But those cages you need to rattle a lot harder sometimes. Mm. So, so the, the, the kind of module that, that goes in and exactly to, to your point is I think everybody understands that there's disruption. They understand that it's a, it's a tech disruption. They need to, to do something about it. But the three steps that I take people through is that you don't always interrogate, do we have the right skill set mm. to meet the disruption? So I say to people, my analogy is we, we kind of, starting to get into a driverless car, but you're starting to use old stick shift manual to operate the car. It's wow. not going to work. Mm -hmm. You need a different a different way of doing things. And if you acknowledge that you need a different skill set, then you have to ask yourself after that, does the operating system of the company work? Because mm. if you change the skill set, generally what I say to a lot of companies is the old corporate structure, hierarchical, uh, siloed, all of those kind of things, is counterproductive to innovation. And, and like you said, everybody wants the new, everybody wants to innovate, but they can't innovate because they're still using an old structure. So they've got to get out of that and, and it's very hard to do, specifically for really, really big corporates. So your banks, all of those kind of guys, they really struggle with moving this, I call it a lumbering behemoth, you know, trying to do a, a U-turn, uh, you know, in a little cul-de-sac and they can't do that. So it's like moving the Titanic. Yeah, it's so true. One of the things that I've also noticed is the, the monolithic powers and breaking down those old structures. We all learn in business school that everything that we do is for the shareholders. Yes. But Warren Buffett, um, I actually mentioned it on the John Flissmas show, is that he says that we need to stop having these short-term goals because that is why businesses are not preparing properly for the future. It's because they're so focused on profits for the next um, quarter yeah. and how we're going to get there that the long-term goals in order to reach that is completely missed. And in, while this is happening, we have these connected individuals, consumers that are already 
used to the best technology, the best experiences in the world like Google, Google Maps, Facebook, and Amazon and so forth. And then these brands are still trying to yes, get yeah. things together at the ground. So, so one of the, the, the favorite things I like doing is, um, because I, I can't, I can't believe, but I can't believe it, um, that a lot of the, the companies are going, the conversation is still around millennials. How do we deal with millennials? I'm going, guys, get yeah. over that, you know, and because if you look at your, your, the oldest millennials, they are actually your, your managers now. They're becoming into managerial positions. And if I have to put my beauty queen crown on, I would say <laughs> the children are our future. And in this case, Gen Z are the problem you should really be worried about, specifically mm. if you're a consumer brand, mm. uh, very, very specifically if you're a consumer brand, but because at Flux we look at people not only as as consumers or, or what brands they like, but also as a workforce for for companies. So I say to people, you know, you thought millennials were difficult to manage. Wait until Gen Z come into the workforce, and they're starting. So the, yeah. the, your eldest Gen Zs are eighteen, nineteen years old, twenty years old. So they're old already, already going into the workforce. They're already coming of age. They are either going into tertiary education, or a lot of them are not going to do that path. Mm. They're not going to work a ninety-five, forty-hour work week. This their social justice barometer is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at just the recent uh, spate of Time magazines, when Donald Trump's not on the cover of time, <laughs> you have these, what I call them, fresh-faced whistleblowers. These are all the teenagers that are starting to change policy, that are starting to question, they're speaking truth to power. Yeah. Um, and I tell p- specifically consumer brands, I say, who do you think has been manipulating the family budget all along? You know, if you've got a teenager in, in, your, in your household, they decide where you go on holiday, they decide what tech you buy, they decide what you eat during the week. They've been manipulating those strings all along. Now that they're starting to come and they'll start earning their own money, then you've got a different thing happening there because, you know, it's a, just remember, they, they're a post 9-11 generation, they're a post-Great Recession generation, they've been handed a damaged earth, they've been handed damaged politics, they've been damaged, damaged mm. economic systems, they don't want to make the same mistakes as their, their predecessors or their parents or, or grandparents, and so they have a plan. So my, sort of the, the generalization is, um, millennials were much more kumbaya. Let's, uh, they kickstarted the sharing economy. Let's, you know, uh, shuwa and we'll, we'll, we'll share everything. We don't need to do that. But your Gen Zs have, have much more of a plan. Um, so the, the running joke is that your Gen Zs are probably going to be the landlords of the millennials, um, in the next, <laughs> in the next decade or so. Love that. <clears throat> but the flip side is they also have the highest, um, it's growing the highest rates of, um, anxiety and depression. Um, in, in a very young demographic because of that concern about the worry and everything like that. But it all <clears throat> comes, it starts building into this perfect storm that consumer brands, corporates, whether it's a workforce, whether it's a customer, they're not seeing this coming. And we at Flux feel like we're standing on the hill mm. screaming, guys, there's a, there's a Gen Z tsunami coming along because it's a very big demographic. And you're not prepared for this mm. um, at all. It's a, it's a very different thing. So everyone's prepared for a, or trying to prepare for a technological disruption, these Gen Zs and, and a whole lot of other things I call non-tech disruptors. And people aren't looking at disruption as a non-tech disruptor and, and what will that be. So, you know, whether it's food brands, the whole um, free-from movement, the uh, plant-based diets, veganism, vegetarianism, everything, it's changing radically, radically, radically. And, you know, we at, at Flux, we, we're already onto concepts and, 
thank goodness, in South Africa because people just kept looking at me really strangely <laughs> <coughs> about the, the green rush, we call it, the, 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 the about-to-boom global recreational or medicinal marijuana economy. It is enormous, 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 you know, and, and we, we, we just entering the, the arena, but you can just see globally where, where it's going. And, you know, we recording this while there's a job summit going on and people, and I'm saying there's an entire economy that you yeah. are actually not even looking at. And yeah. because you think, oh, you know, old school, it's, uh, no, it's yeah. taboo, it's this, it's whatever, whatever. It's, yeah, get over that. You know what's also one of the biggest problems is we're becoming the walking dead mm. professionals of our time. We're mm. so busy being busy, being in meetings and not mm. making enough time to research, to understand in our own minds, not paying people to research for us, yeah. but also taking the time so that we can understand the world happening around us, observe how people are behaving or how their behavior um, affects what they do. I totally agree with, with you on what you're saying in terms of um, Generation Z. Um, if you look at young people when they grew up, um, there's a thing called, I don't know, uh, digital hopscotch. Have you heard about it? No. So digital hopscotch is this thing, um, it's happening in America where kids can, you know, in the olden days, we used to like um, swap papers or yes. we used to swap uh, uh, scorecards, whatever, uh, football cards. And today what they're doing is they are swapping code. So I am creating my game. Um, if you want to have my functionality, I want that functionality. So can we swap our game? And it's called the digital hopscotch. They're doing this at, at the age of nine years old. Yeah. One of my clients, and um, it's in the broadcasting industry, the Mayweather game. Hmm. Nine year, nine years old, yes. live streaming a game, and there's nothing that they can do about it because they find new ways of of doing it. So the right, there's no way of protecting it. What I'm trying to to get across here is. The language that these young kids have learned is the language of technology. When you're under the age of 13 years old, you can learn five languages fluently. Mm. And they are going to impact our future. So we need to pay attention uh, as to how we're going to infuse this this new generation within our organizations. I just want to add one thing, an interesting thing. I did a quick survey at um, a creative school on social media as to what do they think brands are doing on Facebook and do they enjoy what they see? And you know what they said? The copywriters are too old. They're trying to be new <laughs> and they must get younger copywriters. Yeah. And that to me is scary. Well, it's, I think it's, it's true. You, you know, you, yeah. you, I think the old marketing thing of, well, this is what I think the demographic wants. You know, rather than actually, you know, getting somebody from, from that age group, that demographic to actually say, well, this is what we, you know, what we want. And I think, you know, South Africa specifically has struggled through that and we're kind of getting it right there because we never actually, it just sounds so, so ridiculous, but it's, it, that's what happened. You, you didn't, you didn't have black people creating ad campaigns for black people. Mm. It's just, it's just so weird, you know, and you think, but that sounds so illogical, but it, it took us a while to get to do that so, so it's, it's, it's all of those kind of things um just going back to that um since we have alexa in the room um the 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 thing with even a younger generation you say you're young you're younger gen z's and and we don't even know what's going to happen to generation alpha those are the toddlers that are starting to come up come up through the through the ranks is the way they they're learning exactly what you're saying you know i say to parents and, and especially to teachers you know, it's a really hard pill to swallow, but you are no longer the font of wisdom. Google is the font of wisdom. And mm. that fundamentally changes the way. So the IPAs are specifically, I've, I've got friends who have got three, four-year-olds. So they're not even in primary school yet, okay? 
they are already asking the IPA, whether it's Alexa, whether it's Google, all these questions. So they're not even reading or writing, but it's a voice, it's a voice activated world. So you're getting knowledge and you're learning from that. And what I think the education system or teachers are understanding now only is that that Gen Z generation, that's why I say they're so not difficult. They're, they're such, they're, they're going to be very, very challenging for an mm. old world order because they don't wait for, they don't wait to ask that question. Mm. They're not going to wait and say, mom or dad or a teacher, what is this? I will just go and Google it and I don't even have to Google it with my hands. I will speak it mm-hmm. and I'll get the, I'll get the, get the information. So, so what do teachers and parents do now? I mean, and, and, and the school system, what do you actually teach these guys? And, and, our research is littered exactly with what you're saying. Nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds that have, have businesses already. They're up and running. They're, they're doing these kind of things. And if we're talking brands and consumer brands as well, these guys are not going to wait for opportunities to be created for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to create those own opportunities. And those opportunities, if you dovetail the social justice barometer with them, it's a very, very different world. It's, you've got to have those checks and balances and everything. And if you think about it, if there are a, um, there are a completely uh, digital sharing, uh, uh, generation, they are the ones that are going to say, okay, I'm going to share this product. I'll take a picture of me. But does, if, if I'm sharing it to my peers, mm. does it check all the boxes? Does it mirror my value systems? Is it sustainable? Is it this? Is it that? Cause I'm not going to share something that is not with, my belief system and this is where it starts hitting businesses and what they don't think of it as a workforce if you're not going to give me brand loyalty you sure as hell not going to come and work for me that message is not getting through is that the brand business is is the one thing but in terms of a workforce they're really not going to come and work for you if you just want to keep the shareholders happy and you're just going to be a bottom line focusing what is the purpose what is the meaning of what you do and how can I contribute? And there we go into the whole hierarchical thing argument again is I say to a lot of companies, do you not see the disconnect with a young workforce? Because they say, Oh, you know, when the, the fixation, uh, was with, started with millennials, there's such a quick churn in the office. You know, they're only hanging around 18 months, two years, and then, then they're out of it. True. I said, just take one step back and look at their lives. You are standing in line of a bank or, home affairs or whatever. You're not getting good service. You tweet that out. You get an immediate response. You get some engagement. You're able to actually facilitate some sort of conversation. You could change or you could have an impact on that. That person goes back into a big corporate and they're a real junior, the bottom of the pyramid, and you're told to shut up and sit down and your ideas don't matter. So of course they're going to say, well, if I can't actually do anything, if I can't add my, my voice to it, then why should I stay there? And I think what the corporate structures don't realize is if you start looking at the future of business, it's hybrid skills. You are going to be doing more than one thing and your career mapping path, your learning path, your life path is no longer a linear one, you know, because mm. we, we would all sold this lie. <laughs> that the path to eternal happiness is going to be go to school, go to varsity, get a good job. <laughs> if you are adventurous, maybe you change your job three times in the same sector and then you retire and then you die. Lovely. Nice. <laughs> no, no, no. <clears throat> my, my niece, um, who's just turned 30, lives in New York, has upskilled herself three times <gasps> in her 20s in <gasps> one decade. She's done a UX course. She's done a this course. She's now just signed on to do her 
masters in fine art, but specifically script writing. Oh my! And she's man. She's she's. I use her as a case study because she's like the perfect case study. She is a complete gig worker. Uh, she's found. She's worked in different, very very different sectors. So she's created a skill set that everybody wants. Mm. So she now does UX for Shutterstock, the imaging company. Oh, my. And they keep offering her a permanent position. And she just says, no, you can up my hourly rate, but I'm not coming to work for you nine to five and, and you, you don't have my soul. And now with this thing, so, so to do the UX course, she went to her parents, my brother and sister-in-law and said, um, listen, I want to do this UX course. It's really expensive. It's about $10,000. Um, but this is my repayment plan to you. I'm not going to go to a bank because, of course, there's a distrust with uh, with, with yeah. institutions. Um, <laughs> if you can loan you this money, this is how we'll repay you back. This is the timeline. Da 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 da. Worked it out. She's repaid all of that, and now the the fine arts, the the, the masters and in, 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 in the screenwriting thing, uh, most of her classes happen at night. So she goes back to her gigs, gig employees, and says. I've got so many hours. Do you want them? And they go, yeah, sure. If you don't want to work for us full time, then we'll take as many hours as we can uh, from you. And she and her, her boyfriend um, are the same kind of gig workers. So they are the, the digital nomads of the world, which we are now starting to realize and are starting to call the new elite. So you're not rich in material goods because we've got the sharing economy for that. We've got mm-hmm. digital mobility. We've got Airbnb. We, do, we don't have to own the stuff to be able to, to use it. Yeah. But we're rich in time and place. I can work whenever I want to and wherever I want to. And that's the freedom of, uh, of, of the movement. And that is such a polar opposite and radical idea for a corporate headspace to get into. Totally. Know? It's like we want bums on seats. We want, you know, nine to five and all of those kind of things. And then when, when people say to me, Oh, you know, we don't know if we can trust remote working or flexi time and everything. Then I said, well, you've actually hired the wrong people. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Yeah. And, and the thing is, once, once you get into that thing, you can't change it. I mean, the most interesting thing for me is when, once you start drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> when you go into organizations, they, they, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid and they think, oh, we are on top of the world. And then you're like, okay, it looks like it from the outside until you get inside. And then you're like, Oh my word. Change is embedded in everything that Amazon does. They introduce, um, code, a new piece of code every 15 seconds. Wow. Right? Yeah. And then you go into a business and you go and you see, oh my gosh, there's so much to do here and mm. that the challenges are so big. And it's also, you know, when you talk about innovation, it's about the RPVs, which is your resource management, your processes mm. and your values. You can have your resources, right? You can have your processes right, but if your values yes. of your business <clears throat> is not right and doesn't serve your culture and doesn't serve your customer, mm. you got a very big problem. It's the it's the drum that I'm beating constantly at ev- almost every single presentation I'm able to give, specifically to corporates. And and the higher the leadership group I speak to, the more the the louder I beat that drum. It's like stop just looking at your shareholders, stop just concentrating on the bottom line. That's not going to be a sustainable business, you know, for you. And it's, it's not the way the world is, is, is going. It was the way. And I posted on, on Instagram a, a, a little a cartoon, which is exactly that, you know, that's doping things. They're sitting in a cave, all raggedy clothes. And there's an older guy and then there's a few kids around it. And he said, um, we understand now that we destroyed the world, but for one brief moment in time, we kept the shareholders happy. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. That is like a lion that was a vegetarian for their whole life and then gets introduced <laughs> to meat. Oh my gosh, that is just insane. But you know what's another very interesting um, topic? I had Stafford Macy on um, one yes. of my shows and we were talking about technology. And one of the things that he was saying is that technology would completely dissipate. So it will be in the background. Like, for example, I could say to Alexa, Alexa, call me an Uber. I put her off so she doesn't comment. <laughs> Sorry, Alexa. But anyway, um, Alexa, call me an Uber. I have not once touched engaged with technology. Everything is set yes. up around me and I go. And that's how consumers don't think, now I'm on an app, now I'm on mm. this. It's trying to, to make their lives as simple as possible. So in the end of the day is, is that we need to start looking at solutions that are, are putting humans first. And how do we serve humans? Because we talk to our customers in our like risk management. Like yes. you talk to me about your buzzwords, not about how I perceive it as a customer. I want to give you a, a very quick example. My husband says to me, don't you want to go and get us an, an outdoor umbrella and a, a patio gas heater or something that we can actually spend the winter outside? Wishful thinking, but anyway. So we're sitting in the mall. So the first thing that we do is we go and price check. We go and check and see, we, we, could we go? We thought, oh, no, no, there is the store in the mall. We'll quickly go in there. We go in there, no sales staff to help us. It's 10,000 steps. We're walking up and down. We can't find what we're looking for. We found in the outdoor section that the outdoor umbrella cannot find the patio heater at all. Mm. We're like, what? They should have this, at least have it. And um, long story short, couldn't find it. Thought, let me go online. I'll buy it online and they'll deliver in 24 hours. They didn't have an online store. Uh -huh. uh, nice. Dinosaur <laughs> times. Anyway. I thought, okay, let me go back. And as I went back, I said, do you guys actually have patio heaters? I'm sure you have. I know you, I know you have, but I can't find it in the store. You know where they had it? Where? They had it in the aircon section. <laughs> and for me, that was a typical example of knowing that if, if you are not connected to the world and see how consumers are navigating through your products and searching for your products, and you are using your buzzwords, because I can guarantee you they've placed the aircon and the patio heater together because that's the way they buy it. Yes. And yeah. they categorize mm. it according to how exactly. they, they, they perceive it. And they forget about the customer. And that's a, a barrier mm. that they need to overcome. So on, you know, on that, while you're talking, I mean, because obviously that's why my, my niece did, did a UX course. And then for a while I was just saying to people, UX just that's you know it, 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 I think a lot of brands have started getting you know whether you call it UX or CX customer experience UX experience but I've introduced something new to corporate structures because you can actually see the light bulb going on in their heads when the sentence finally lands I said you especially if you're a, a, a consumer centric brand or a company you're always dealing with that stuff and then when I go back to my whole thing about disruption skills and then um, ecosystems of, of companies i said do you ever map your employee experience wow light bulb moment and there's that yeah there's that stun silence and then the, the pupils dilate and then they go <laughs> oh we haven't thought about that and i said but think about it you've got a you will now have a gen z workforce you will have a millennial workforce you'll have a, a gen x workforce maybe your top leadership is still going to be baby boomers but each of those generations have a different idea of career mapping they're mm. not going to follow the same path within your company structure and i learned something 
yeah, that's what I love about my job. I learn something every day. Uh, a couple of months ago, um, I was talking about when, when we do these classes, you get that the, the sort of senior management or executives, they understand the disruption, they understand the tech and what's going on. Where you start getting the fears is middle management who understand what needs to be done, but they don't have the decision-making capabilities. And then the workforce under them are the terrified bunch there. But middle management that can't move but understand the problems, I now know they refer them to the permafrost. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> they are that frozen middle that, that are just stuck between a rock and a hard place and they can't, and they can't do, you know, the, those kind of things. So it's exactly for that. So, you know, have you mapped an employee experience for the permafrost people, for the bottom of the pyramid, for the different generations? Because it's not just that linear path anymore. And that's how you ran yeah. the company and the corporate, but that's not how people are going to, to look at it. And especially the younger you go between, for a younger millennial and then a, an older Gen Z, is that that linear path in that company is not going to be be the same, nor is their functionality of what they do in your company going to be yeah. s- singular or yeah, it, it's it's going to jump around the the whole place. And and then do you have the organizational structure to accommodate people mm. that that go from one department to the other department and everything? And you th- you think about it, you need it. You need hybrid skills, but you also need hybrid generational skills because mm. we talk a lot about ambidextrous leadership. So every single company is trying to do two things. And no matter what sector, no matter what company you're doing, you are trying to continue your institutional memory, but you're also trying to implement some high-tech system or technology or something like that. And that's where you need to juggle the two there. And it's not, it's really not easy. And mm. the, the bigger the corporation, the harder it is to juggle that. But you ha- actually have to because, you know, when, when people say to me, I go into different companies and they say, we're a proudly legacy company. We've been around for, you know, for 80 years, for 90 years. I'm like, I wouldn't shout that out <laughs> too loudly in this day and age. Um, it's not really a badge of honor. It's, um, it means that you are that lumbering behemoth and it means you are siloed, you're hierarchical and that you just can't, you can't move. And then I go back to my previous life in, in, in fashion magazines and in fashion as well. And I say, you look at a company like Gucci. Okay. Yeah. One of the biggest luxury brands in the world. They're, they've been around for 90 years, but if you actually look at the history and the creative direction that they've taken, uh. they have pivoted every, say, two decades or something. Now the whole thing is going younger and it's streetwear and it's uh, luxury sneakers. Which I just find so absurd. It's just because Have that's you a, seen <laughs> the tongue? The in Parkers, there's a, yes. what is the, the tongue cleaners? Or, I'm like, my husband and I, every time we walk by, we go, what is that about? I don't get it. And, and, to your point again, there's a whole, the, if that's a, yeah, I don't want to derail the conversation, <laughs> but, but that sneaker culture and the sneaker, the, the limited, the limited range, uh, market for those things is all Gen Z business people, 15 year olds, 16 year olds that are buying stuff online or waiting in queues for something that's only going to have a limited edition. They sit on it for a year or two. They flog it online. They, they're making a salary at 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trading in, in the sneaker economy, you know, and, and their parents sort of think, Oh, you can't do that. But lo and behold, they are. And, um, yeah, they're going to, they, they're making money off it and they, they've got a little business out of it. So I have, I have, um, one of, one of my friends, her son is like 19 years old. And he started a vaping business at yeah. age of 16. <laughs> and what he does is he creates all the flavors and he's got his own laboratory 
and he just mixes all these flavors wow. and he's booming. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, but, but, but this, the, the, this is the thing. I mean, just further to your point, as we are having a conversation, <laughs> the sneakerhead uh, culture, I think there's a company called uh, Sneakerheads in Australia. And what they did is they created a store, very, very tiny store with one pair of each luxury yes, yeah. shoe. And you go in, you try, and it's one of each size. You go in, you try it on, you download the app, you order the, you order the, the, the shoe, uh, and then you walk out, right? No sales staff, and nothing. Yeah. And they deliver it. The first store that they launched, that mall was packed with people on all levels to try and get into the store. I know, I know that case study because I actually uh, spoke about it as well. And you know what's, what's the very interesting thing? Cause I looked at it from, from, from a different business angle is their distribution. It's, yeah, it's an Australian store. Yeah. 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 Their, one of their main warehousing <clears throat> and distribution things is actually situated in Hong Kong. Huh. They don't even distribute from Australia. So it's just this cross border kind of, Crazy. you know, world we're living in. And then, um, then just to further on about the, the digital nomads, this is, to rattle cages even more. I say to people, so if you're going to embrace a new operating system and new skills and you're thinking of digital nomads, I say, now here's a different challenge for you. And again, it's a non-tech disruptor, but it's a very, and it's a, it's a prevalent one there. So for some reason, Lisbon is a good gig economy town. Apparently yeah. there's, it's, it's the, the cost of living is quite good. It's, you can get quite a lot. It, that's if you're not sitting on on a beach in in Phuket or something like that doing stuff. So I said, so so look at this scenario, and this is the nature of of, of modern business. So you've got a digital worker. I'm a web developer or a software developer or something like that. I'm working for my client is American, but the software that we're developing for is for a company in Germany. The server is going to sit in Switzerland, and then the components or something are going to come from France or whatever. So it's those. Sure. So how do you tax? A digital nomad. <laughs> it's like the old Netflix thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you, so it's like, that is the nature of stuff. So, so, so who's, who do I, who am I working for? Where's the company actually based? All of those kind of oh. things. So it's like, yeah, get out of those ivory towers and silos and hierarchies. It's just, yeah, yeah it needs to move. Totally. And I think that's, I think that's the most paramount thing is, is I think for disruption to really happen within organizations is they need to, Take people within the organization and let them come up with ideas and start new companies mm. outside of the business yeah. rather within because <clears throat> within these uh, monolithic powers that can't break down old structures, it's not going to work. Big question. Yes. We're seeing a huge challenge with our culture. We have a huge culture, but we don't understand each other's cultures very well. So we stereotype people. Um. We all like Kumbaya and Ubuntu and we were saying, Oh yeah, South Africans. We all say, how's it? And we know we call a, ro a traffic light a robot and we have these, these nuances and um, that makes us very cool. But when you go deep into, into our cultures, I find that companies do not understand the, the, the complexity behind all of these cultures. I mean, if you just look yes. at a standard thing, we have 11 official languages. I have yet to see a company that actually has a website or something that caters for 11 exactly. official languages. Yeah. We are not trying to connect to our culture, but we're trying to find a way for them to love us. But we can't even have the basic human connection with them. What is your views on that? I'm very happy that I started to see 
departments or people that are being brought in as an external uh, facilitator of diversity training. So almost like what Starbucks had to go through about sort of racial bias training, we are starting to acknowledge that we actually need some kind of diversity department person that that really, really handles that. I threw one of the banks a, a really big curveball. Uh, they were having a sort of a series of just conversations. And so so for one month, each of our uh, our members, we took a, a, a different one. They they said, okay, we'll start off with you. So what would you like to, to chat about? Dangerous question, because I'm going to give you stuff that you don't want to talk about. <laughs> the first one was the green rush. And they said, no, 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 we can't talk about that. <laughs> This was about eight oh months my ago. Gosh, yeah. and, and because they said, not because they were too afraid, I'm like, I didn't believe that, but they said they also didn't have the products or anything, they hadn't thought about it, you know, to, to, to do that. So, so can we just park that aside? So I said, okay, if we're not going to talk about that, then can we talk about gender fluidity then? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. this went beyond, you know, race. And so I said, well, well, let's, let's get this really interesting conversation going. So there was the head of diversity. We, we managed to source who was, who was very, very keen to, to chat on this platform, a black transgender female who hadn't transitioned totally, hmm. but was of Kosa heritage. So yeah. I said, wow, that, there's a lot of stuff to unpack this. I said, firstly, it's a personal journey. So when did you first have that self-actualization, self-realization that this is the person and the being I want to be? So that you've got to get over that first because that was a big thing. Then it was, so then what about the family? Um, because mm-hmm. then there's all of that. Then there's cultural benchmarks because as a Kosa male, you have these benchmarks that you have to go through. But now suddenly you've decided you're going to be a of trans course. person. Oh, wow, yeah. And you change that. And then there was a corporate one. So this woman actually worked at an actuary at a huge, huge corporate. And I said, how does that, how's that happening? You know, um, and only after I understood that, that there was a, there wasn't a full transition. So, um, she would still receive stuff uh, addressed to Mr. And to your point, we then said to the bank, so your forms for home loans, you've got Mr. and Mrs. Doctor. So I said, Maybe you should expand that, you know. You, so it was, it was even beyond just a race and culture mm. kind of thing. It was like, let's force you to think about these things, which then happily made them speed up the other stuff. So, Correct. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, also these assumptions that we make when we're online. So I was, I was on a site the other day going online. They've taken my information, but I was searching on a male product, not for myself. It's what, uh, it's not a male product. It's a product we all use, but for my car, mm. right? And immediately I'm addressed as a man. Yeah. Because I'm now searching on tires and mm. I'm like, hello. What world are we living in that we, we, we have all these stereotypes mm. and don't understand personalization? Yeah. It, 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 it's, you know what? It's getting old. It's, it's a topic that we, we should really get over with. We should really get things sorted. And especially us as a country, um, you know, we 20 years into our democracy, we should really learn to cross pollinate and, and to share our. Yeah. It's such a, it's, it's, I think a huge, huge, huge. Not insurmountable, but it is a, it's an enormous Challenge. mountain that we have to climb and, mm. and, and, and really, and, and you see it, you know, happen over and over again, which is why the, um, the, the presentation that, that I gave about the, about the tribes, you know, we, we call them specifically consciously diverse because what we saw happening 2018 and um, 2017, which, which then led to, to, to what happened in 2018 was these questions of identity that sprang up globally. Mm. So 
But then I said in, in, in South Africa, specifically three issues of identity, especially if you're a brand, if you're especially a marketing, if you're in marketing or in advertising, do not go there unless you are 120% certain that you are woke enough to, to talk about this stuff. And it's issues of, so the three issues were race, gender, and culture. And in South Africa, I mean, in the world, it's, it's, the rest of the world, it's, it's, it's a touchy subject. In South Africa, it is, yeah, just, just don't, don't, mm. don't go there. <laughs> Not, don't go there. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I just think that, oh, it's time. Yeah. You, I, I, well, I, well, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but go there, but then don't base a advertising campaign or a marketing campaign Correct. on, on assumptions that you don't know. Correct. So yes, so do yeah. go there because we need to go and address those things. But yeah, go there with eyes wide open and, and yeah. understanding with empathy as well. To, and to the people that. around you that that's in your team is it's like um, having a male represents a female product. Product. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, I don't know. get that. It annoys yeah. me because, and I mean, like I'm all into this Me Too movement and and following what's happening there. And, you know, my husband um, sometimes said to me, yes, see, you know, it's like we feel so uncomfortable about like being around women and what we say to women because if, if we say it wrong, you know, mm. it's a very sensitive to- topic. But it's not that we're trying to be um, sensitive. It's trying to acknowledge and have our voices heard. This is what's happened. How can we move together, mm. move forward and be equal? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Um, well, I think, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's one, the one line I quoted in, in that presentation and, and, and it, it's true. I think you, you, you get so accustomed to a certain way and then when it's challenged, you, you either react really strongly or you go, Oh my goodness, why did, why was, why did it take so long to do that? And, mm. and I think the, the, the quote I used was somebody was saying, you know, that, that, uh, for years and years and years in, 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 in fashion brands and in, in, in advertising, you know, to not have a person of color in that campaign yeah, was fine. And only just uh, recently we, we started doing this and we've been uh, understanding this. Then suddenly when you see it, you're going, why haven't we been doing this for such a long time? You know, it's, it's like you wake from this, this, uh, slumber where you've been blinkered and, and all of those kind of things. So, so yes, I think as a cage rattler, I like making people uncomfortable and I think we should always feel a little bit uncomfortable mm. and, and, and be taken out of our comfort zones because I think we, we need to. And the world is changing so fast that if you're not a, 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 able to adapt to a bit of discomfort, then, mm. yeah, then you're just going to slide into oblivion. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I wish I had the whole day with you. I think I'm going to, I'm going to book you for a day <laughs> and we're going to go and tiptoe through the tulips and we're just going to talk trains. And, and, well, and we can talk about identity politics because that'll take about six hours to talk uh, about. I did see politics and we can talk about the, the green, the, the green rush. Oh yeah. Don't get me rush. started on that one because I just, yeah, I've got so much research onto that and we've been researching that for about three or four years when it just started coming onto the, onto oh the God. radar, you know, and I just going, guys, this is, this is an enormous fundamental shift that is going to happen. And it is an economy. It is a huge, huge, huge economy. And people, you know, just kind of see the, Oh, it was taboo and, and nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm like, no I guys, like look, <laughs> look at it. Just, just to, you know, to, for, for the listeners also, just the, the, what I do when I introduce it to corporates, because there it's like really, oh, this is a bit of a taboo subject. Then I start saying, look at the different companies that have gotten involved in this economy. So one of them is Microsoft. Microsoft and a company called, it's a, it's a, it's a financial services company because, so in America, you are legalized in about nine or so states. Um, but on a federal level, it's, it's still, um, illegal, which means that every single transaction that you have from a vendor, whether it's medicinal or recreational, can't be put through with a credit card. 
because it's illegal, because on a federal level, the banking system won't, uh, you, you can't accept payment there. So it's a cash-based payment. So you can imagine huh? how much cash these guys have on the premises, which means it started a, a thing with hostage-taking, robberies, all Jeez, of those kind of things. Because people know, you sitting with a couple of hundred thousand dollars on your premises in small denominations, which can just disappear quickly. So basically, I think it's called Kind Financial and um, and Microsoft have created this sort of like an ATM system where it is safer for the merchants to be able to deposit the cash um, and, and get get it off the premises just so that it's a bit it's safer. And then, so when they, when that starts sinking, then I say, okay, then, and I talk to a lot of insurance companies because they're kind of the eye in the eye of the disruptive storm, there is one insurance, very, very forward-thinking insurance company in America that actually now has created a policy, a product, that ensures if you are a grower specifically for medicinal use, if your crop fails, they will ensure that crop failure. Oh, my word. That's where we are already in terms of business. Never mind the consumer product things. There, I can go on for another four hours. <laughs> but I'm going, guys, these huge companies are seeing this, you know, and we're still going, oh, I don't know, you know, is it going to be legal? Is it going to, you know, are we? It's like, guys, this is, this is real. We have a, a little uh, game that we play. So we have a ticker going, 60-second game, 10 questions, yes. <clears throat> no right, no wrong answer, Ooh. and you have to answer it as quickly as possible. Okay. okay. <laughs> On your marks, get set, go. Why is tennis balls fuzzy? To hook into your underpants. <laughs> How many yellow taxis in New York? Four million. What do you think about when you're alone in the world? Like alone in your car. Uh, why am I in my car? And why am I driving the car? <laughs> Good one. What rising trend will never die? Uh, the green rush. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> a penguin walks through that door right now, wearing a sombrero. What does he say and why is it here? Did you get over the Mexican wall? <laughs> what is your favorite meal to prepare? <laughs> Um, Nigella Lawson's roast potatoes. Name a celebrity you think that is lame. <laughs> oh, which Kardashian? Anyone? Yeah. No! If you could live in any TV home, what would it be? Any TV home? Yeah. Um, uh, ah! You managed to get eight out of ten. Okay. No, seven out of seven, ten. Okay. But we're still going to ask you the question. The, um, what do you call Modern Family? Mo oh, oh yes, yeah. oh my gosh, I love no, Modern no. Family. Tell us something interesting about you as Dion Chang that no one knows about you. I think quite a few people know this, but I'm I'm the most epic and like the world famous cat butler. Cat butler. Yes. What is that? I just I'm a butler, I'm a butler service to for my cats. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh, sorry, you use all these trending words. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> that is genius. Okay. <laughs> When you have a bad day, what do you do to make yourself feel better? Oh, get into a hot bath. You see, I believe in that. I yeah. always say that's the answer to and everything. In, and in fact, um, so I, I, I enjoy a, a good soak. Um, but then I also tell our clients uh, who are a bit nervous about new trends and, and different business strategies, we will ease you into a hot bath slowly. <laughs> love it, love it. I've been woke today. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for coming. Oh, and thank I hope you so much for having me. I hope it's not the last time. No, no, no. We're going to have you on here again. It's not. There's lots time, to chat about. Every, every time when there's a new trend coming, when you have to talk about it. So, 
Um, we are going to sign out and uh, Alexa, give us a high five. High five. Thank you to our guest, Alexa. Thank you, Alexa. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another Solid Gold podcast. For more show notes and more episodes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.